The Archetypal Tarot Podcast explores universal human patterns, called archetypes, by investigating the major arcana of the ancient tarot. We recognize these archetypes because they are present in our own life stories, myths, and culture. Each card represents a stage of the journey for understanding the greater story of our lives. Hi, and welcome to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. I'm Julianne Javeau, a consultant specializing in working with archetypes. And with me, as ever, is tarot consultant Sundara Quackenbush. Today, we're discussing the card of the Emperor as a stage of a journey, along with the archetypes of the Father and the King. So thanks for tuning in. And first, let's talk about the images that appear on this card. Great. So we have the Emperor, which is the card number four, but it's the fifth card in our journey. Uh, but this number four seems to be very significant and tied to the king. And looking at the Emperor card of the Mersais deck, the oldest tarot, he's got his legs crossed as he sits on his throne, and it looks like the number four. Totally. And so we'll be exploring a little bit about why this four is important with what this king, what this emperor symbolizes uh, for the journey of the fool. Uh, but he's also pictured holding a scepter, of course. And uh, he, he looks like a pretty, in, in, at least in this oldest uh, image of the emperor, he looks pretty laid back and pretty approachable. He's this bearded man. He's uh, holding kind of relaxed onto his belt. And he just looks like a very benevolent king. He's got one foot rested in the earth. He seems to be outside uh, and looking into the distance, looking over a landscape, per perhaps, and possibly his kingdom watching over. Uh, and then we also found some interesting symbols in some of the later decks. Uh, in the Rider Waite deck, the Emperor is a, definitely a much more severe-looking individual. He's uh, seated in a very old-looking stone, solid throne. Once again, he's outside, but he seems to be facing more the audience or, or the the viewer, whoever's viewing this card, and he's got this long beard, and the image that's different and um, that appears also in many other decks is the image of the ram, which connects him to Aries, to Mars, similar to uh, reflecting back on the Empress, mm -hmm. our last card, she was connected to Venus and Aphrodite. So here we've got the Empress, Emperor who is connected to the ram. And, and red seems to be a common color used. Um, that's that color of <laughs> Mars and of war. As, and that, uh, that's about the imagery of the Emperor card for us here. Yeah, there's, um, and I did some research on the different images um, of the cards. They they tended to pretty much have, it was an older gentleman in a throne looking a little, you know, and varying from looking kind of severe to just sort of grandfatherly. They, the image of the ram seemed to be pretty present as well as, you know, holding things, symbols in his hands. You know, he's holding a, a, a sort of like a globe that's glowing in one hand and a scepter in the other. So there's, uh, you know, when I look at these cards, I think, here's somebody who has a lot of experience and authority. You know, they, they know what they're doing. 
careful crossing them. <laughs> <laughs> They've been at this for a long yeah, time. Experience. Like. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, he's comfortable in his throne and he's been there for a while. So what does this card mean for the stage of the fool? So he's just come from the empress. He's had his ideas, the idea of his journey or the beginning of his journey nurtured by the empress. And now he's coming across the emperor and the sort of fatherly ruler authority figure. So we're going to explore a little bit about what this means for the fool's journey. Yeah. So coming from this, so I immediately, when I see these cards, I think um, we went from the Empress, which is the mother queen, now are going to dad, basically. And then if you know, like your experience of, of life of like, mom, oh, mom said, no, I'm going to go ask dad, that kind of thing. And just the parody between, between the two. And um, the, so I, the first thing I look at in terms of a stage of a journey is there is you went from a place with the empress mother of just open creativity and that just sort of like almost anything goes loving creativity just having a fertile ground for things to grow in and just try stuff out the next stage you got to you know it's just he's a slightly more stern character mm-hmm. but um where structuring starts to happen where they're still nurturing but the nurturing is in the form of paring things down a little bit, getting, uh, getting a little bit more realistic. Whereas, um, with the mother, it was sort of like, yeah, go dream, do whatever you want, which is great. The next step is to go, okay, now how are you going to form this into, into something in the world? That's right. And this is where that number four becomes significant because if four is expressed as a shape, it's a square. And so the square has these sharp angles to it and it's very, you know, set, it has to be have very equal measures on every side for it to be a perfect square. And so you're able to kind of square the circle here. You're able to c- cut off maybe some excesses and really pare it down to what it is you exactly want. It's a way of creating boundaries, a way of saying, this is my kingdom, this isn't my kingdom, and being very clear about things. I think of it, too, as being like the difference between the left and the right brain and when the way those operate. We went from the right creative, um, nonlinear to the linear, rational sort of stage of this. Both are needed, and I think in real life, we'll probably have to balance back and forth between the two. But looking at this as a journey, it's this stage of, of, uh, of finding out what uh, what needs to be pruned away and, and what kind of structure is necessary to support uh, your journey going forward. So what, what are the loving structures or what are, what are those sort of protective structures that can be put around it? I would I want to talk a little bit more about the father because that's sort of to me like the the first major archetype along with the king. But it makes sense for me to talk about the father first. Let's do it. Um, So just as we had the mother and queen, you see the father and king, that the king's an outcropping of the the father. I mean, the, the archetype of the father, you know, along with the mother are about as old as it gets. They're mm-hmm. essentially our first archetypes. Um, and I want to say, too, that just like with the mother archetype, we seeing it as a symbol and seeing it as a, um, a structure 
a set of behaviors and patterns that it really does not have to do with our own personal experience with that archetype, with our fathers, or if we didn't have them or what have you, to, to look at this truly as a pattern the way the way it is and kind of distance distance yourself a little bit from your own experience. That's right. And that this <clears throat> father or fathering can be a force that isn't necessarily only for a man, but that it can manifest and be be present in the constellation of, of women as well. Sure. And, you know, really, honestly, the longer I do the kind of work that I do, the more important I see that um, everybody can, uh, that everyone take a look at how they parent themselves, how they work with these archetypes for themselves and then for other people. So it's just really important to kind of take a look at the father as, as being symbolic and as, as something that anybody can embody no matter what their own personal experience with it has been. There's something about the father at this stage that, you know, it's hard to come up with another word other than fatherly. <laughs> there is there is that protective, caring, embracing, and yet very, very strong energy with the father. The father can be very organizing and practical and you know, it's that loving part that says, okay, it's time to stand up and let's give, you know, and there's room to practice. There's an encouragement to, to give something a try, but to also be practical about it. And the reason that you're practicing is, is for your pure experience of it, but how can you then take this out into the world? And that fatherly pride is, um, is a key component here. How, how can you look at whatever you're doing with that protective fatherly pride? which is different from the mother, and I think we all can kind of sense that. Definitely, and so we have this interesting thing going on with the mother and the father, whereas if we experience nurturance and um, unconditional encouragement from the mother, say, we may get something similar from the father equally loving, but it may be a, a, a toughening presence sometimes, like, you know, dust yourself off if you fall down and just get up and try it again sort of thing that's maybe a little more, I don't know, uh, direct and... It's reassuring. Yeah, it's reassuring in a different way. Yeah, right? like you can you can do it. Come on, get, get up on your feet there. Yeah, there's a confidence mm -hmm. building. It's it's just, um, it's a different form and it, it has a lot to do with making sure that the right foundations are in, are in place. Um, and those foundations, sometimes they're, uh, they're, well, they're very masculine. It's the masculine side of love and patience and stability and kind of working on getting things right um, instead of sort of rushing off to go do whatever or dropping the, the project. It could be in its highest aspect about a positive discipline and discipline not as a punishment, but as a you're worth it. Keep giving this a try. Don't give up. Mm -hmm. um, Carve out the time. <clears throat> have a schedule. Right, exactly. And so the the highest part of the the most empowered part of the father archetype is very much being a provider. So how do you provide for this dream that you've got or this calling that you're following? So you are the provider. How do you provide for it? Do you give it enough time? Are you too busy running around doing other things or you're not giving it attention? Do you create a structure for it and, and protection where you pay attention to it in a way that you're, maybe this isn't a good time to bring this idea to that friend who's really critical or to bring it out into the world quite yet? Um, and to that's that fatherly wisdom of to, to know when, 
when is it time to sort of push the kid out of the nest and know right. that it's ready? Because our emperor is watching the walls of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He sees, he's, he lays out that boundary and is able to say, okay, this is my kingdom and I'm watching over it. Allow the work to begin. Allow this process to happen within these walls. All with the, the energy or the environment of uh, being an experienced person. So if you think of the father archetype as having experience and being, being sort of a creator of things, but also um, kind of knowing how things work. You know, the dad's like, oh, well, I know how that works. And, you know, I'll help you figure out how to put that together. It's that, it's that kind of energy. It's that sort of guiding wisdom that um, in its highest aspect can, can shield a person, but also provide a lot of common sense. Um, that's, I think, the most uh, be- beautiful part of that sort of like loving, all right, you know, come on back here. Let's show you how to do this. It's that, it's that strong uh, masculine sense that's guiding and loving, has a lot of wisdom and experience that's totally available to, to anybody, whether they're, they're a, a man or a woman. It's a neat archetype. So let's now discuss what some of the shadow aspects may be of this father archetype. Yeah. Well, just as <laughs> with any archetype, when, you know, its, it's powers are really, really great, um, they can also be really, really um, injuring and bad, evil, if you if you will. So what? let's just go with the, the shadow parts of the father. Are you... Um, you know, impatient and demanding, uh, really controlling uh, way of being. So let's let's look at this in terms of a project. If someone's if someone's writing a book, you get really impatient and demand from yourself that you get it done and kind of become a tyrant to yourself mm-hmm. that it it's right the first time and that you know you'll never be enough. Things like that. That's a really that's a really shadow way of going about things. Um, that quite frankly and. I think doesn't work very well at all, but it is something that we see in our culture and we might have experienced that in our families where you have one parent or another acting as that father that's like, you'll never be good enough. Mm-hmm. That's really damaging, I think, to a lot of people and that mm-hmm. the, the heart of this archetype is to, is to be encouraging with that kind of loving structure. But when it shows up in the shadow, boy, it can just be, it can be dispiriting and, and, and horrible. There's something too about and we could say this for the mother as well, but in my research, I, I saw it a lot in culture and books showing up as the father of having that unlived life projected onto their child, or in this case, symbolically, basically putting your whole life's worth into your project. And so here's my unlived life. So if it was a child, you'd be like, you're going to do better than me. You're, you know what I mean? There's that dynamic, you better do better me better than me, but if you do, I'm going to resent you for it. I mean, that's a really tricky place to be, and that's deeply a part of the shadow of the of the father, and we, we see that show up in, in culture. Also, too, some of the shadow aspects of the father to be cold and disconnected, to neglect the family, to neglect the children, or or symbolically to start to neglect the project when they're upset with it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're working on a project, and you're just oh, I don't, I don't like the way it's going. And so you neglect it, you put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, you abandon it in so many ways. The, the shadow can also, in the father, can create an, an unhealthy competition between people and between their child, or they can become unable or feel that they're unable or afraid to protect something. So uh, the, the father can be like, oh, oh I, I don't think I can, I'm just going to run away because I don't know how to protect the family. 
And, you know, you, you see that in books and cultures where the father's not actually present as a character, but they're present by their absence. Mm, so the whole right. book is about the father mm. who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so that's another shadow aspect of, of the father. So, yeah, it can be ew. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking now about how much is projected onto how that, that father archetype is such a projection that can be put onto people. And when someone is figured out to be a human being that I'm thinking particularly right now of Freud and the experience mm-hmm. he had with his own father, that um, his father turning out to, to disappoint him so much and be so human can like, wow, I thought you were everything. I thought you were sitting on the throne of my family and that to realize that, that the father is this human being, mm-hmm. the, the father archetype misplaced or deplaced in that way. That can be a pretty, um, uh, painful experience as well. Sure, and I think the valuable thing after, and, that, and that'll probably happen to everybody with their parents because that's just the experience of being, you know, an infant and not and needing everything to be provided from other people. And whether they're your parents or other people around, you you will see them as as godlike, or you will see them as these all powerful beings. And there will be a certain point where you realize, oh, well, they're not. And that hopefully will happen in a stage where one can take these archetypes and pull them back into themselves. Yeah, that's Or at right. least begin to begin to see, oh, okay, that person, they need to parent themselves as well. Right. And that's something I can also do for myself to kind of pull those projections back. But Oh, yeah. And this is such <laughs> a uh, common thing in relationships, right? When we, when we meet that p- potential significant other projecting these maybe these very strong, masculine, saving, rescuing qualities, mm-hmm. the rescuer being another archetype, onto that, that you know, human being sure. <laughs> and having to figure that out. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's rough. I and mean, you see that a lot with the knight and the damsel and, and just the, the looking for what they feel is absent in themselves to have that happen, you know, have that appear for them in the other person. That's that's a big part of relationship struggles, and many great books have been written about those uh, those struggles. My favorite, if any of the readers are interested, um, Robert Johnson, who's a Jungian psychologist, um, he's written some great books that, gosh, I think he wrote them in the 70s, but they really stand up today. There's a book called We, um, W-E. Brilliant book, easy to read, or pretty, yeah, pretty easy. Yeah, to read. definitely, and it includes mythology, and uh, it's a wonderful break. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're if you're getting a kick out of these podcasts and you're interested in um, sort of the psychology of archetypes and projection, um, We is a great book. He also wrote one called He about the masculine psyche, and one called She about the feminine. So those are those are good ones to check out. Easy titles to remember right. as well. <laughs> and, Robert Johnson, <laughs> and the yeah, the bookstore on my site has. You can order them from there. So. Oh, excellent! I know, right? I'm I'm all prepared. And so, um, so what are some films with the father archetype that are present? Ah, yes, myth, culture, and movies. Uh, you know what I was thinking about the dad? I kind of my favorite TV dad is Bill Cosby mm-hmm. in the Cosby Show. Gotta love him. Um, both the mother and father archetypes are portrayed, I think, really, really well there. Um, you don't really see a lot of the shadow, but then, you know, it's TV. Uh, and then my, my all-time favorite movie dad, and this is true for, I think, a lot of people, is Greg, Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Atticus, Atticus Finch. Atticus has just got to be the 
most ideal father figure archetype yeah. in film. It's amazing. And he still shows up as being pretty human. You see the struggles that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to think that film was made in 1962, you know, long before either of us were born. Um, and I think what people today, it's still very um, viable. And it is kind of the TV dad that people will think of, or the, I'm sorry, the movie dad that people think of. Um, and kind of intertwined with that, I'm going to roll in the Frances McDormand's character as the mother in Almost Famous. So she's a mom, and she's a single mom, but there's a scene where she takes her her young son, I think he's like 12 or 13, to see To Kill a Mockingbird. And they're walking away from the movie theater, and they're ha- she's having a discussion with him. And essentially, she is teaching him about the fa- archetype of the father from watching that film. And you also see her having to portray or having to call in and be enact the archetype of the father herself because she's a single mom and so I want it's a great example of a woman who has to you know she's had to play both roles and throughout the film you do see her very much being the mom and you also see her needing to be the dad and that struggle that internal struggle that that she has um, to try to embody both and going back and forth and what a great example of that fathering force being able to be present in anyone like that that's great Absolutely. So um, why don't we talk now a bit about the shadow aspect of father in film? Sure. And I will note, too, that if if anybody wants to read more about some of the archetypes, um, if you go to my website, there's going to be a link for the podcast section. I'm going to do a list of, of the various films and things that have, like, say, the father and the king archetypes. Great idea. It's so easy to come up with so many of them. And, <laughs> There's a know, lot for those Half archetypes. this podcast could be me talking about the movies. Um, do, 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 do. So, oh, God, the shadow aspect of the dad. Oh, okay. There were a lot of them, but I really, the ones that I'm going to mention, I think, are just, they're realistic. You know, there was, like, the guy in Shining, in the movie The Shining, who was a father, but, like, that, it didn't really apply as much. So to kind of go somewhat realistic, there's a pretty popular show called Mad Men, and the main character is Don Draper, played by John Hamm. And he's a dad, he has two kids, but he's that, like, neglectful, too wrapped up in his own problems. He tends to, you know, they're divorced, and he only has the kids for the weekend, and he spends half the time going out on dates and leaving them with the sitter. So there's that sort of shadow, neglectful, he kind of yells at the kids when he's cranky. So he's disconnected. And that, that really shows that, um, that like he's got all the power, but he's not really doing much. And you see a lot of his guilt, too, in between times. So I wanted to mention that. Kevin Spacey's role in American Beauty. I mean, archetypally, he's kind of all over the place. But there's that section of starting to get completely selfish and jealous of your children. Um, and that, that shows up um, in American Beauty. Uh, let's see. John Lithgow showed up as the bad dad a couple times. And I think of him from like, you know, Harry and the Hendersons or whatever being like super dad, but I'd forgotten Footloose. He was that minister and the father who was just very strict and controlling. And then he played a a horrific character in, uh, I think like the fourth season of that show Dexter on Showtime. Oof. It was, and it's, if you really want to see the best and the worst of the father, John Lithgow's character in that is, is definitely there for that. And he's uh, like the double-sided. You either see the light father or the shadow father. It's crazy. And I also wanted to mention, um, Sundar and I, you had been talk, you and I had been talking about the archetype of the father, say, in the last 20 years. 
in, um, in popular culture where the dads are these portrayed mm-hmm. as like the bumbling fool. Yeah. And it, it, it's totally become apparent. Uh, you can see it in, in TV commercials, uh, a lot of, t- uh, television show sitcoms or cartoons, perhaps like the Simpsons or family guy that, that you have this laughable father. Um, and, and I, I find that a very interesting, perhaps even an American phenomenon, uh, in particular, per, maybe perhaps extending beyond that, but, um, at least in the English speaking countries, you see it yeah. in England, Canada, and Australia as well. Um, and I, I remember hearing something James Hillman said in a, uh, I was listening in on a recording of his whole all men's event, which was <laughs> really quite interesting. And, uh, and he was saying, um, quite a tr- how troubling that this phenomena was that, that the father's just sort of been deplaced in this way, or maybe there's, there's good and bad sides to this, but that it can be a, a troubling thing, I think for the, the family as a, as a unit. And as for the confidence of the father himself and his ability to take care of his family. Yeah. And I, um, in based on the conversation, I was like, you know what? That's really, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. The, the show Two and a Half Men, John Cryer's character. I mean, you, Mrs. Doubtfire, that film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Homer Simpson, you mentioned Al Bundy of Married with Children, the family guy. You really, you're not going to, you're not going to run out of examples of this. And, and my, my quick thought on it is the father in these shows is he's characterized as the father, but barely shows up in that actual archetypal role. And that's, that is, that's, I think speaks more of sort of the, where people, where people are in the cultures because they've lost touch with what this archetype really is. People who are the, my guess, and this is totally Julianne's guess, but my guess is the people doing the writing of the shows, maybe they personally didn't experience that, Atticus Finch type dad or that mm-hmm. truly close to the archetype role or they had such a negative experience mm-hmm. where they ended up with the, um, you know, the John Hamm character, that neglectful dad that they, they don't know what it is. They're not mm-hmm. getting the full role and, and their reaction to it is to, to write them as these ineffectual, you know, men or selfish men mm-hmm. or idiots. And it resonates with people because it, it, yeah, it, it mirrors maybe or fills in something in their life. It's such a narrow view, and oftentimes mm-hmm. it's just really, really inaccurate. Where they're mm-hmm. in the they're in the dad role, but they're really more, much more of the fool or the hedonist or the mm-hmm. shadow character characteristics of the victim or something. Interesting. So yeah, yeah there's mm-hmm. that. So now expanding this view of the father, growing this archetype to expand to the kingdom, we now have the king archetype which uh relates to this this emperor sitting on Mm -hmm. his throne Mm -hmm. so so yeah i mean if you see the father as his realm being the family and taking care of taking care of the family whatever that comprises whether it's their community or their children their literal family it's that bigger step out it's it's being responsible and having that masculine authority and that creating structures for a larger and larger world, be it the company that they work for or the group that they're in charge of. This is very, you know, the king, um, the king is very much about authority and having responsibility, being benevolent, being an organizer and very much serving the larger group. I think, uh, it's, it's a good place to kind of go from the, the caretaking of the father 
for the idea, the project to then seeing how does this reflect out into the world? How is it whatever you're doing? What are the structures can you put in place right now that will enable you to share it and um, give that gift to to the uh, you know a larger a larger space, a larger realm? That's right. And in his light attributes and looking at the emperor, returning back to his scepter in in many of the interpretations, we have a feminine symbol with with the with the cross a more masculine symbol and so he, he he's a king who's in touch with his feminine side who's able to rule with with kindness and compassion uh, as well as having a firm hand and a firm grip on his kingdom i think that's just saying that there that it's not mutually exclusive that love is not feminine and it's not mm-hmm. just masculine mm-hmm. it will have its types of forms um, showing up and so to see this as the fool coming along and in a stage and having that fatherly protection um, and that, that nurturing and the structure and, and ensuring that the foundations are safe, the king is, uh, I see anyway, being about being responsible and seeing how this foundation is going to support more people. You know, the family gets bigger, the world at large, the empire, you know, it is yes. the emperor. Mm-hmm. It also says to me that there's a bit of an ego check moment happening with this with this um stage and about being generous there is there is something that could happen with a king where you, you know that's like you get too big for your your route where it becomes it could potentially become all about you and these grandiose ideas so i see it as a, as a moment to be like okay ego check like what is this project that i'm doing really able to do to be of service to, to a larger group. Mm, so that's, yeah. that's something that came up in, in researching it and also looking at with the king, you know, how the king can go bad. Yeah, and so that kind of brings us to the shadow realm. And it also reminds me of just old pagan practices in which uh, the king or ruler was, once he reached maturity or was on the top of his throne, this king was killed and that was uh, viewed as like the way to return him to, and uh, a sacrifice to allow the earth to continue to be fertile. And there's this theme throughout Greek mythology of maybe the young hero, he conquers things, he, go, he accomplishes his goal, he cuts out his kingdom or conquers a kingdom, but then he becomes the authority which he sought to overthrow. Mm. And so that's, that is the danger once again, that we have with the King or the emperor. Is he getting too solid in that throne and, and too tyrannical? Too, too much power. That's exactly it. And so if the, if the light aspects of the King are, you know, magnanimous and strong and responsible and benevolent being an organizer, the shadow aspects are cruelty, again, being disconnected from your people, disconnected with the, the needs of what, what um, the people you're serving, being a tyrant, a dictator, um, and feeling really entitled and self-serving. Um, and that is a big part of that sort of disconnection that can show up. You've got so much authority. And I think, you know, obviously, historically, we see kings about, they were, a lot of them were about, how can I get my kingdom bigger and bigger and bigger? And it was, it was all about the empire versus how how happy is my kingdom how fruitful is it how you know science and the various arts and things that were being happening supporting supporting that kind of growth versus 
anything to go and get the grail or anything to go and get this and that. And it didn't matter how many people had to die or who had to suffer mm-hmm. to, to create that expansion of the empire. So that's, that's something that's kind of the ego check moment, I think, for this, this stage of the journey is to kind of go, oh, okay, all right, you know, kind of come back to the father who goes, all right, what's practical here? And you need to get up and go, but be, be careful that you don't lose sight of what it is, what your real intention is. That's right. And are journey. you able to support and hear out uh, arguments that are the antithesis of your, your kingly statement Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think that's really important too it's like are you able to support the uh the occupy movement (laughs) are you able to hold that in your kingdom as well as as you know being able to you know keep your order and and so forth are you able to allow a freedom of ideas to to flow and that may be important for the fool as well who's got i want to do this thing with my life or i've I've got this vision what what is the antithesis of your vision Mm -hmm. and are you able to hold that as a possibility as well yeah that's really really big and as if you see the the the, the path from the father to the king is one of being, ex, you know, it's expanding and that there's, there's whole lines available where you were, where the, the next stage of growth always requires you to hold everything that, that you just experienced and bring it with you. Um, just, you know, the atoms to molecules, all of that, that's, that's a fractal symbol that I think shows up throughout this, um, journey of these tarot cards and, um, I think anyway in our lives it is about a larger and larger space and the understanding of where you came from um, and I think that goes nicely into maybe the films um, that the king shows up in and you mentioned um, earlier the the king's speech in Ooh, that yes. film yeah. Colin, Colin Firth I at first thought well he's very much the prince and there is although not always there is um, a prince to king path um, but they, they, they can be standalone archetypes. So you see him learning to speak and have his voice. And the, the thing in the film for him, which was very much about the king and not about the prince, his brother was the prince who wanted to go play. Mm-hmm. He had to step up to that role, even though he was terrified to do it. Yeah, that's and, right. And what a wonderful uh, example or symbol for all of us that uh, if we're needing to engender an archetype, if we're needing to grow it in our lives, that that we can we can go through that we can work on ourselves to allow that uh, welcome that archetype in even if we don't feel that we're we're naturally like that or we feel too human because of whatever impediment that we we feel we might have that that with work on ourselves and by yeah really allowing that archetype to come into our lives it can happen and so he became a a, a very uh, positive king. He became the king, although there is definitely those moments you can see in his sort of trajectory where he was really hesitant um, yes. to do that. But his his caring for his people mm-hmm. is what brought him mm-hmm. through, and his wife and the the man who's the the speech therapist. Uh, other kings, um, Commander Adama, played by Edward James Olmos oh, yeah. in Battlestar Galactica. Both king and father, you can see you can see those two roles happening. Sometimes you just can't stand them, but that's when he's choosing to be a king over a father. Just like we talked about Aaron Brockovich, there is that moment that you have to choose the, for the greater good than your family, and that's the mark. That's the mark of a of a king. Uh, Sean Connery, just as an actor, 
I mean, I don't know how many films he's but played a king, but, you know, it's the first night, the man who would be king, Time Bandits. I mean, he just himself really embodies that archetype. Indiana Jones's father. Indiana, and he's the father in Indiana Jones. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, one I'll point out that uh, is, is probably the least obvious but really interesting was um, a film called Whale Rider. I think it was 2002. There is the the girl, the main, the protagonist in that film, played by Keisha Castle-Hughes, her role, her throughout the film was king versus king. Her her grandfather was the king, and she was this young king. And so, if you're interested in seeing like a non literal great version of mostly the positive aspects of the king, um, watch Whale Rider. Also, another one of my favorite films. Mm, I love that um, film. And, and to get into the shadow um, kings, oh my God, it's too easy. Um, the big ones, <laughs> the big ones, the Godfather. All the Godfather films, you see both the father and the king. You see Marlon Brando, and then you see the sort of prince to tyrant thing happening with his sons. Um, brutal, but a really good example of of how a good archetype can go bad. Uh, the same thing for The Sopranos. Uh, very similar. Um, dynamics happening there and then of course darth vader (sighs) sorry we're getting silly here but darth vader i mean just you know evil king he was a tyrant he lost touch or at least for much of the films he'd lost touch with his own ability to to father um and And also recognizing that that film star wars was totally built and written off of the hero's journey the hero's journey the understanding of these archetypes it's just classic i mean you really could say that the movie is is a lot about the family too and understanding the relationship of fathering and self-fathering another one really quick is the last i believe it's the last lord of the rings film um return uh return of the king the faramir and lord denethor um, horrible, horrible. This is like the bad dad times 10, uh, where it's something to understand that there's this, um, dynamic relationship between the father and the king that, you know, they challenge their son to do better than them. And then when they start to do it, they just want to crush them. Um, and so that's, that's something that's a dynamic that you see really, really strongly in that film. And, you know, but it's, it's not all bad. It's just one of those, just one of those things with an archetype that you can you can spot the pattern, you can see it happening, and it represents a set of potential choices um, that people have. All right, so that's what we have for you today for the emperor archetype or the the emperor tarot card with the archetypes of the king and the father. And so, uh, just on your own, if you're thinking of any sort of creative project right now or some new step in your life. Just these two cards of the tarot, the Empress and the Emperor, can be wonderful guides for you in nurturing your project and allowing it space to grow, and then bringing in that Emperor archetype to organize and to provide a boundary in which you can get this work done and create a schedule for yourself. And so have fun exploring with those as we have, and we will see you in the next tarot podcast exploring the Hierophant. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. And again, if anybody has any questions or comments, you can leave us a review on iTunes or on our podcast website, or you can just send us an email to atpodcast at archetypist.com. Thanks, and I hope you tune in next time. Thank you for joining us for the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. For more information on Sundara's work, please visit her website, tarotdreamstone.com. 
For more information on Archetype Consulting, visit Archetypist.com. That's A-R-C-H-E-T-Y-P-I-S-T.com. Thanks for listening.